For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been given, have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give to you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Congregation, you may be seated. So, what do you think about this parable? Probably by far the one, one of the most, if not the most difficult and complex parables to understand of all of the stories that Jesus tells us. It leaves us questioning what is Jesus even trying to get at in the first place through these words. And on top of it, it seems as if there is a hint of sarcasm woven through this passage, which, if you're like me, makes it all the more complex to begin with. So what are we to try and do with these words? Is this manager that we hear about in the parable a clever manager? Or is it a wisely worded parable to get us thinking? All right, for a minute, think about the phrase or the proverb, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Anyone with me on that one? You can't do it? Or or anyone think that you can do it? Oh, really? Oh, shoot. <laughs> okay, well, I think up until recently, I used to be one of the believers that you could have a little bit of both that maybe you could take a little bite of the cake, have that taste of on your lips, but also still be in large possession of the majority of the cake, thereby having two situations. You could do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You could have the best of both worlds. As I get older, though... I guess I'm now with all of you. I'm not so, so sure that that is possible as much as I thought it once was. Because inevitably what happens is of those two situations, one eventually becomes less than the other. Realistically, how can any of us just take one bite of something? We want to have all of it, right? And so what happens is of those two things we want to have so desperately in our lives, one always takes the higher priority, and one gets less of our time and our attention. So that we can't always have it both ways. We can't always have the best of both worlds. Now let's go back to our parable for a second and see if we can try and unpack this a little bit. 
Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. And he tells them a story about this rich man who has the means to own several properties. And he also has the means to hire all of that out to this management company who can interact with all of those tenants, all of those people who owe him something. And he learns that this manager has maybe not been kind of keeping the books that he should have. And so he's just about ready to fire him, to let him go, when this manager learns of this and then decides he's got to take it into his own hands, see what he can do to save his own skin. And so he goes to each one of them and he reduces their bill. Okay, now this is where various biblical commentators all start to differ in how they approach this text and how they understand it. And there's some people who say, oh, this is a story, a positive figure that is being commended here because of how clever he is in doing what he does. And maybe what he did was he actually increased each of their bills to tack on a little interest for himself so that on top of what everyone owed the owner, he got a little interest for himself. And that what he really ended up doing is just canceling what he was charging them to be paid to himself. That he came to the, see the error of his ways and he changed. Now, there are others who would say that what is true of this story is that Jesus is using this as an example, as this exaggeration, as a sarcasm of how we are not to live our lives, of how we are not to engage with one another, and that the manager was wrong all along, and that it wasn't his to be changing or like giving away or reducing in any way. He was just simply to manage what had been given to him. Now, either way, it becomes difficult for us. Because as we try and think about what Jesus is even saying in the parable and what Jesus might be saying to us. But if you look at verse 8 and 9, those words about how the master commends the manager because of how he acts in this clever way, And then if you hear the words spoken after that, in maybe a sarcastic light, hear them in this way. Go ahead. Keep telling yourself. It's not personal. It's just business. Do whatever you need to do in order to save your own skin, to get to the top, to make connections and network with people. Do whatever you need to do. Say whatever you need to say to make yourself look good and to make others look bad. Live the good life. And make friends with people who are in the in crowd. Because if it's ever all gone, just maybe the people who are in will be able to welcome you into the eternal homes. But I... I certainly wouldn't count on it. Does that change how you hear the story a little bit? 
First of all, who has the power to welcome us into the eternal homes, into heaven? It's not the people around us. It's not the people that we do business with from day to day. It is God. And I think Jesus tries to make light of that through this story. Luke is the only gospel writer to include this parable. So we have to ask ourselves, what's the context? And maybe where he places it in his overall gospel might also shed some light as to what it means for us. So what happens in Luke 15? It's all these parables about the lost, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost, the prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son, how does that go? A man has two sons. A father has two sons. And the youngest son does what? He goes to the father and he says, Can I have my inheritance now, please? Even before the guy has died, even before he's on his deathbed, he asks for his inheritance. And the man, the father, gives it to him. Now you know that had to have come at quite a cost because a lot of that money was probably tied up in land and livestock, not just sitting in a bank somewhere. And so it comes at a cost to the entire family. And then what does the younger son go and do? He lives it up. He goes off on his own, he leaves his homeland, he leaves everything he knows, and he enjoys everything he wants to. And what happens? He is left with nothing. Not a penny to his name, and with nothing to live for. He has no family, he has no friends, he has no purpose in living and is eating with the very pigs from the ground. And so he does the very thing that he feels as if is his only option. He goes back to his father to beg him to let him be one of the hired hands. And what does the father do? He sees him coming, and he goes running to greet him with open arms to welcome him home. And on top of that, he has a party to celebrate his son's return from being lost to now being found. So then the story that comes right after this that you'll hear next week is also a story about a rich man who had a poor man named Lazarus who laid outside his gate each and every day. This poor man who had was covered in sores and hoped, longed for just the, the crumbs that would fall from this man's table of which he received none. But the rich man knew him by name and yet had nothing he could give to him. And so the two men eventually die and the rich man ends up in Hades and he is being tormented and he is suffering in the pain and in the heat of that place. And then he sees this Lazarus who is where? But in heaven with Father Abraham. And he cries out, please, if you can just give me a little bit of water, just dip my tongue in water so that I might be cooled from this heat. And Father Abraham says to him, you received the good things in the life that you knew. And now it's Lazarus' turn. And so then the rich man says, well, you got to go tell my brothers this. I've got five brothers left. you got to go tell them so that they can change their ways while they're still alive. 
And the clincher of that story is Abraham's words. They have Moses and the prophets, and they didn't listen to them. And even if someone is raised from the dead, they will not listen. Even if someone is raised from the dead, will we listen to his words? Will we listen to Jesus' words to us about how we are to live? And so here in between those two parables is this one that we have today, in which I think Jesus is trying to speak this really important word to us about how we live here in our world, in our lives, each and every day. Sandwiched between this amazing love of a father who forgives and extends grace and love and welcomes, and the responsibility of not noticing the very person we know by name but can't can't help in any way. The last thing to be tracking is the verse that comes immediately after our passage for today is verse 14 that goes like this. And the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, ridiculed Jesus. They laughed at this parable right in his face. Now, without dismissing the words of this parable as simply being directed to the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, who seemed to be more focused on what money could do for them than their role of serving God, I think each of us does well to be able to stop and think about these words for our lives of faith today. And it seems to me that Jesus might be trying to say or prevent us from falling into that trap of thinking that the choices that we make in our lives each and every day don't matter. That in the end, Jesus will be able to settle our debts, that God will be able to welcome us home, that our actions or our inactions don't really affect the people around us. So what? If I choose everything in my life but God, so what if God is the last person that I seek out? So what if my time and my attention and my energy is focused on everything but God? What does it matter? The very last line of our gospel seems to get at that cake and eat it too. We can't have it both ways. We can't serve God and serve money. And herein lies the challenge that I think we all struggle with throughout our lives to figure out what that even looks like in the first place. Because we know that we need money in our world. We need money to be able to take care of ourselves, our basic needs, to be able to take care of our families. We need money to be able to take care of those who have greater needs than our own. But what does it look like when we begin to serve money instead of serving God? As a kid, I remember having my piggy bank. 
And every time I acquired more money, whether it was change I found underneath the couch or whether it was like birthday cash that was given to me, I would take it all out of my piggy bank, I would lay it out and put it into piles, and I would start to count it. And sometimes after I counted it, I would count it again and maybe even again, sometimes hoping and wishing that the more I counted it, the more it would become And I was always so aware of how little it seemed and of how much more I wanted it to fill my piggy bank, of how much more I needed to be able to get whatever new cool thing, new cool toy I thought I needed to have. And maybe that's what it looks like when we begin to serve money. We become so focused on what's in front of us, on wanting more of it and more of it and more of it, of thinking of what we think we need to have, that we actually lose sight of the more important things that are right in front of us, the people and the opportunities right at our fingertips that we begin to spend more time and more energy and more attention on how do we get more of this money instead of being able to recognize that money is just a means to being able to do the things that God asks us to do, to being able to recognize and experience the joy that comes in generosity, of being able to help someone in need, of being able to share it with someone we love. We lose sight of the ways in which God invites us to think about money. And maybe we do best to remember that perhaps the key to helping us navigate this parable for today, and Jesus is longing for us on how to live our lives, is in verse 10. For whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. Wisely worded. Wouldn't you agree? Amen.